I just wanted other people to see the good in our community, first of all. And, you know, when somebody says the word hacker, they don't just immediately think of criminal. There's something positive that we can point to. And I wanted other people to get that feeling that I got when they helped someone. Hello, and welcome to the Hacker Next Door podcast, where we explore the origin stories, exploits, and everyday lives of real-world hackers. I'm your host, Jeremy N. Smith, and this series is my chance to challenge stereotypes and examine the human side of this extraordinary activity and profession, who hackers really are, and how hacking really works. My guest today is Johnny Long, the founder of Hackers for Charity. In his professional life, he's famous for pioneering the field of Google hacking, and he's an avowed Christian who moved with his family to Uganda for seven years to start a free computer training center and other philanthropic projects funded by the worldwide hacker community. I've been fascinated by Hackers for Charity since I encountered them several years ago, but this conversation was my first chance to talk directly to Johnny and to learn his remarkable story firsthand. Welcome to the podcast, Johnny. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. The first two words in your bio are Christian and hacker. Let's cover those one at a time. You got famous for a kind of hacking called Google hacking. What is mm -hmm. Google hacking? Google hacking is basically using search engines like Google to dig up information that's not supposed to be public. Um, so, so you're not hacking Google, you're using Google as this sort of x-ray vision to see everything that Google can see that maybe people didn't realize was, was so visible because Google is such a powerful probe? Exactly. And in the early days, the sky was, was not even the limit. I mean, we were digging up classified military information, Department of Defense information, credit card numbers, social security numbers, financial information, medical information, weapon design stuff. I mean, it, it was just a wide open sort of thing. What's amazing is this isn't something where you're at a computer command line with you know a green text on a black screen in the dark where you have to know these arcane things you're literally using the tool that everyone uses every day yeah you know dozens yeah. of times and you're just typing in a series of words that are specialized enough and specific enough but also broad enough that you're 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 fishing basically you're you're casting a net using this amazing mm. tool that we all have at our fingertips and anyone typing those series of words into Google at that time, at least, would get those magical results. Yeah. And, and I think that that's part of what hacking is. I mean, it, it's not just doing arcane things that absolutely no one understands. You know, the term came arguably from MIT, brilliant pranksters who were twisting normal everyday things to do crazy stuff. And so to me, that was that was that has always been a common theme in my career is taking something relatively normal and relatively common and doing something extraordinary with it that is that's hacking so what was your faith background and practice at this time i mean i grew up in a christian home you know my parents were christians my grandparents great-grandparents i sort of inherited it but my journey from an unpopular nerdy string bean of a kid i i was always sort of on this quest to prove otherwise. So when I started getting into professional hacking and was leading the industry and doing a lot of really interesting stuff and getting a lot of exposure, one of the things that I hadn't done was been, I hadn't gotten the stamp of approval, which was at the time, get a speaking slot at DEF CON, 
you know, back then, if, if you got you got published in Frack or you spoke at DEF CON, that kind of puts you on the map. Frack being the sort of hacker's journal, DEF CON being the right. biggest hacker conference. Exactly. I ended up writing an anonymous article for Frack. I met the, the editor through a friend of mine at the time, and I pitched this idea, and he ended up publishing it. So I published this article in Frack, and then I got a speaking slot at DEF CON, and I was like, oh, this is great. I've totally arrived. And I had all these expectations of what that talk would do for me, that it would sort of be the summation of all that I'd hoped and dreamed for, which is a little crazy when I say it that way, but understanding from my perspective of building years and years into this and from my um, emotional perspective as a, as a kid, it made kind of sense. But man, I gave that talk and it, it was, I think it was called Watching the Watchers and it was a very early Google hacking talk. And it, it was lousy. It was just, <laughs> it was just terrible. You, I mean, I watched flopped. this video. Oh, I mean, I watched this video and I could just see like how stuck on myself I was and how awesome I thought I was. And it was just, it was just a terrible talk. And to your question, that was sort of the tipping point for me where I had gotten to what I considered to, to be the top of the mountain and I had a miserable, lonely experience. And I was like, I just wasted mm. my life. It just really shook me up. And so falling back on my faith background, which to me wasn't ever for me, it was kind of inherited. I was just like, you know what, God, I give up. I've put all this effort into this thing that's been so completely unfulfilling that if you want me to do something else, then I'll do it. But if you want to do something with this career, then you do it. I mean, it was a very heartfelt prayer. And I was literally at the end of my rope. And, you know, I put on my website that I was a Christian, which to me, I thought was going to be the kiss of death because nobody talks about religion. But it wasn't the end for me. As a result of that talk, a publisher had seen it and approached me about writing a book, which is kind of backwards. Hey, do you think you could write a book on that subject? What you talk about was really interesting took me six months to decide to say yes and three months to write the book. <laughs> and that was, that was Google hacking. You know, it blew up. Mm. Google hacking kickstarted what was to be really my visible career. What people would look at and say, these are the highlights of your careers. These are the big years. And that turned into a dozen book projects and talks all over the world and showing up on CNN and, and uh, NBC and Wired Magazine write-ups and the Wall Street Journal and this and that. And so basically, I kind of looked at it and went, my career blew up for a reason. Although I didn't really understand what that was other than being famous <laughs> and being this famous professional hacker that everybody looked up to. And it wasn't until around 2006 that I kind of got an answer to that. I was speaking at Black Hat uh, in Vegas, and I was staying at Caesars, and they had me in this great room, jacuzzi and steam shower and marble everything and LCD panels everywhere. This is the even, the even fancier hacker conference, Black Hat. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So this is the professional side of Defcon. So I'm in this really nice room. My wife's on a missions trip in Uganda and she texts me and she says, electricity is back. We have water now walking to work with chickens and goats. And I, mm. I looked at that message and I was like, you're on another planet and yeah. couldn't quite, couldn't quite understand what that was about. But man, she came back with pictures of these kids that had nothing, double orphans, HIV positive, one stitch of clothing to their name, 
and they see her coming and they're just filled with joy and laughing and dancing and singing and you can just see the joy in their face and these kids that had nothing were just filled with joy and i was in my suite in caesar's palace at the, the second wind of the top of my career money's not an object i have everything i want and inside i'm kind of empty and miserable still and I was like, man, I got to go to Uganda and see what these kids have that I don't. You ended up going all in. I mean, you gave up your job, your house, yeah. your existing community. You moved with your wife and your three children to Uganda for seven years. Can you tell me a little bit about that leap? Mm -hmm. And just even more importantly, of course, what is the work that Hackers for Charity does? Yeah. You know, that first trip that my wife went on was kind of the eye opener that made me go, there's something there that I need to see. The following year, I went with her for a two week trip back to the same place, back to Uganda. And it was just exploratory. I was like, you know, I just need to, I need to know what, what this is. <laughs> there's something here that I need to know more about. And that two week trip, you know, I was willing to do anything. I would do construction or, you know, medical clinics or dig ditches or whatever they needed. I would do it. But when I got there, they found out that I was a computer guy. And I, you know, I use air quotes around that because that was the term. And obviously that was a little insulting, <laughs> you know, right, given right, my right, line right. of work. I was like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a computer guy. I know some stuff about computers. And they're like, well, we could really use your help with some computers that we have. They took me in. They had an office that they ran this nonprofit that the, we were working with that was supporting kids and trying to find folks to pay for their schooling and their medical care and their basic needs. And a lot of their donors were in the U.S. and they would get money from the U.S. and wire transfers. And they would have to keep track of what kids are sponsored and where the money goes. And they had to report back to the donors in the U.S. And of course, they tried to do this all with computers and their computers were just a wreck. They had viruses. They, they showed me one sure. computer that was having problems and I cracked it open and literally there was a plant growing inside of it. There was so <laughs> much dust and so much moisture that it, and this wasn't organic computing or anything crazy. Like this is just, this is just crap growing inside of a computer and somehow they both were alive. <laughs> and so I did antivirus work and computer cleaning. And to be honest, I was bitter about it. Because I'm like, first of all, this is crap work. I'm a hacker. To me, this is crap work. But more than that, my wife is every day going on medical missions, helping kids get better and helping people with their medical needs and out there saving lives. And I'm digging plants out of computers. And at the end of the two weeks, they brought us together and they, they thanked us for the work that we did and said that we were saving lives. And I was like, well, you're talking to my wife. And they explained to me that without the work that I was doing and without the, the computers running and running properly, they don't have access to the financial records and they're not able to feed kids right. because they can't use the computers because of a virus. So by fixing the computer, I'm literally saving lives. And, you know, I took that back to my life, my great corner office and my cushy job and my existence and could not get that out of my head. And that plagued me for months. And I tried to recreate that in my daily life, that feeling that that gave me, you know, and I would do fundraisers, you know, and I would send money over there. And none of the stuff that I was doing filled that hole that was left. And so after months and months and months of my wife and I both feeling like we need to go back, we need to try to do something more. We decided to take our kids and see how they did. So we went on a three week trip the following year 
took the kids. They loved it. You know, they were pretty young at the time, but man, they just blended right in. They were dirty all the time, but they were playing with chickens and goats and sticks and rocks and doing kid stuff and just loving it. And we're like, man, if we moved here for a year, would you guys be okay with that? And they're like, would we have to go to school? And they're like, well, kind of. We do homeschooling. And they're like, that sounds cool. And so we decided to go for a year. And the hacker community really, really made that happen. The first year, I, I made no bones about the fact that I felt like God was calling me to do this thing. But I also explained that I'm going to use my tech skills to help people. And I like to, to joke that our first year was primarily funded by an agnostic, an atheist, a Wiccan, and a Jew, you know, and they, <laughs> every single one of them said, you know, I know you're a Christian. I don't believe what you believe, but I think what you're doing is great. And I'm going to help you do it. And countless other people who made smaller donations basically made that first year possible. And that's when Hackers for Charity started because I looked at this and I went, man, if, if I'm able to accomplish this much as one person, imagine what we could accomplish as a community. And I just wanted other people to see the good in our community, first of all. And, you know, when somebody says the word hacker, they don't just immediately think of criminals. There's something positive that we can point to. And I wanted other people to get that feeling that I got when they helped someone. And so that's when I started Hackers for Charity, just as a way to shine a light on what hackers are doing. And that one year turned into seven years full-time in Uganda. It was basically the, the formative years of our kids' life. And that was all funded by, by hackers. We started a computer training center, giving people free computer training so that they could get tech jobs. We started a hacker space. We started a restaurant to give people job skills there. We started a leather program to teach leather crafting. We just basically kept our eyes open and looked for opportunities to help. And it was all funded by the hacker community. I saw some of this the first time I went to DEF CON myself. I was just, you know, in a giant hall in an exhibition space in Las Vegas, and I was surrounded by people wearing T-shirts that said, I hack charities. And it was just to the left of me. There was a woman to the right of me. There was, there was a kid in a baseball cap. There was a family, and they were all kind of in different areas. They were not clearly together as a group, and they were all wearing these I hack charities T-shirts. So I thought, yeah. oh, my gosh, this is, you know, evil incarnate. It's infected everyone, but that turned out to be the exact opposite. So right. I, I love that that sort of spirit, and I guess that T-shirt's probably a conversation starter, even though it's pretty provocative. <laughs> yeah, at the time, the sort of handle that I went on, I mean, I always went by my name. You know, people just knew me as Johnny, but if I had any handle, it was always iHackStuff. My email address, johnny at iHackStuff.com. You know, people, people recognize that because that's where the Google hacking database started. When I was writing all the books, that was kind of my existence. So that the iHack part was kind of an idea that a friend of mine, Marcus Carey, he was like, man, with this charity thing, you should keep going with that iHack thing. He's like, you should do something like iHack Charities. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. Because it, like you said, it's evocative and, and people read it and it's just like, wait, what? I mean, that's messed up. You instantly react when you see something like that. And it was, it was a cool idea, but at the time there wasn't a lot of meat to it. It was just kind of funny because our focus wasn't really on charities. It was just on helping people. But we realized that it was more effective to come alongside an organization that's doing some good help them do what they do or protect them or give them some security training or consulting or service to help lock down their stuff. 
just to come alongside of them. And that was more effective than trying to help one individual at a time. So we found sort of a stride in coming alongside nonprofits and just helping them in some way. And one of the initiatives that we have right now is literally hacking charities. It's coming alongside of a nonprofit and using our resources to give them free penetration tests, break into their stuff, secure their resources, show them where the vulnerabilities are, educate them so that they're not a target, so that they can keep doing what it is that they do to make the world a better place. Do you have a kind of big picture impact sense of either sort of people worked with or organizations worked with or those served? And are these charities that you're working with today, are they exclusively in Uganda still or are they in the United States, around the world? No, and, and that's a great question. So the Uganda programs that we stood up that I mentioned before, those are all still running in Uganda. The restaurant we turned over to the Ugandan management team that was helping us run it. So it's wholly owned now by Ugandans. The, the training center and the hacker space are now entirely run by Ugandans. Although as an organization, we pay their salaries, we pay the rents, we pay everything that they need to do their job. So they're not stressed to find ways to make money off of the students. Great. And the leather program is still running as well. So all the Uganda stuff is still running very well in Uganda. But the majority of the organizations that we're helping today are actually based here in the U.S. And they're doing everything from, you know, transitional housing to uh, education, all sorts of different great things that they're doing. But they're based here in the U.S. And we make connections with these organizations not through an application process or anything like that, but strictly through word of mouth. So someone knows what we do, knows the organization, founders or directors, knows both sides of the fence and brokers that connection, which is great because we have an implicit trust right out of the gate. And just sort of by working that way, we've been able to, first of all, keep it manageable, but like I said, also keep that trust level pretty high. So quick questions. First, is, is Hackers for Charity itself religiously affiliated? No, that's a good question. And it's something that we get asked pretty commonly. The answer is no, we're not a, we're, we're not a religious organization. We are secular. I, I make no bones about what I believe. I put it right out there and I say, hey, look, this is what I believe. But I don't speak for the hacker community in that sense. We just from my first year alone, I realized that the diversity that we have in our community is kind of what makes us who we are. So we are not a religious organization. In full disclosure, we are a DBA under a Christian organization. So our 501c3 is a DBA under a Christian organization, but we are a non-religious group. And it's been great because we can have these discussions, but at the same time, we can have an openness that's just really made us who we are and it's made us so much more impactful. Say people want to learn more about you and your work and maybe even get one of those awesome iHack Charities t-shirts or say it's a charity and they want to get hacked. <laughs> How do they find you? Yeah, our website is hackersforcharity.org. Um, it's also a uh, simple Google search for hack and charity. <laughs> it pretty much puts us right at the top. Google searching, uh, it's the sort of connection that runs through your whole Certain career. Certain irony there. But today, I think one of the most important things that we, we do or try to do is to just show that there is a good side to our community, that the vast majority of, of folks that are in this industry are not criminal, that the 1% the criminal element gets most of the press. 
And really what we aim to do is to just shine a light on positive things that hackers are doing all over the world. And so we like making references to other organizations in our community that are doing great stuff. And we don't by any means want to be the hacker charity. We're really about showing the, showing the light side of our community. I love it. You've tried to show hackers it's okay to be Christian, and you've tried to show Christians it's okay to be a hacker. <laughs> it's true. It's true both ways, that's for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And I guess my closing question is just, what does bringing the hacking spirit to philanthropy mean to you? I think it's, it really boils down to what, where it all started with me, which was, which was Google hacking, which is thinking, thinking outside the box and thinking in creative ways about solving problems that are right in front of you. We can do a lot as a community, but we can also burn a lot of time trying to figure out how to accomplish things organizationally. When really at the end of the day, what matters is taking an issue that you see or a problem that you see and doing what you can to solve it and using that creativity that is part of the hacker spirit and leveraging that to solve interesting problems. And really that's what hacking is. It's finding creative solutions for ridiculously complex problems. And my challenge is let's use that sort of process to solve problems that really might not have anything to do with technology. And whether it's on an individual or a group basis, I think we can accomplish an awful lot. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Johnny. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show. This has been great. Thank you again to Johnny Long. Thank you to Furniture for our theme music, and thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with friends. And please join me again when I speak with hacker couple and parents, Caroline Harden and Grant Doby, about hackathons, makerspaces, and raising the next generation of hacker kids. That's next time on The Hacker Next Door.